real joy to be able to come and read the scriptures with us all today. I'm Kath and I attend St Matt's usually at 10 and 5 o'clock services. Our reading, we've got two readings today. If you want to follow with your own Bible at home, put a finger in Hebrews chapter 4 and after you've done that, flick back to the Old Testament to Psalm 19 and that will be our first reading. I'll wait a moment while you find those passages of Scripture. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. The words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom that comes out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then moving over to Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you to be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. 
And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disbelief, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about that day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of God. Well, welcome along everyone, great to be here and as Andrew said at the start of the service, it's a new experience. We are live streaming, I'm down at the building and this is happening from St Matthew's in Manly on the Corso. Let me start by saying I remember back in August of uh, this past crazy year of COVID-19, I was talking to one of our church members and we were reflecting on the year, how crazy it was and he sent me this meme and it said 2020 cancelled. I'll read it to you. After careful consideration, we have decided that it's no longer in the best interests of everyone involved to proceed with 2020. While we recognise that a lot of hard work has gone into preparing for 2020, if we're honest, it's turned out to be a disaster and we feel it best to call it off. We understand that some of you were looking forward to seeing what cruel, peculiar, new realities 2020 would throw up next. But on the balance, we believe it's probably best not to find out. We will instead provide ticket holders with a full refund or an exchange and start afresh with 2021 on Monday. Our plan is to deliver a more enjoyable year, similar to, say, 2016, which everyone thought was the absolute worst year of all time, but in retrospect was actually a walk in the park. So see you next year, management. Well, here we are. It's the 3rd of January. It is 2021. And what lies ahead for all of us? It's interesting, 12 months ago, if you go back, Gladys Berejiklian had just declared a state of emergency for this state with the bushfires, and who would have thought we would have had the year we've had? And as we start this year, I thought, what better place to start than to just think about God and who he is and his character and what that means for us. 
And we're going to be going through a number of Psalms, and it's called Encountering the Living God in the Psalms. And each week we're going to look at a key aspect of who God is. And this week I've picked Psalm 19, and it's the God who speaks. And if you're familiar with the Psalms, there's 150 in what's called the Psalter, and three of them, Psalm 1, 19, and 119, are Psalms that reflect on God's word, the Torah as it was known back in Israel. And this psalm, C.S. Lewis, the famous writer and thinker, said this, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So no pressure, Bruce, don't stuff it up. Here you go. So when you read this psalm, uh, and I've been reading it this week, it is a magnificent psalm. I'd encourage you after the service to take it away, read it, and think about what it says. There's obviously two key things that it revolves around on the topic of God speaking. From verses 1 to 6, it talks about the fact that God has spoken generally, and then from 7 through to 14, it speaks of God speaking specifically. And let's have a think about those two ways that God speaks. Firstly, God has spoken generally. And if I were to ask you the question, how is it possible for anyone in this world to know God, to know that there is a God? Psalm 19 starts this way. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. And what the psalm is saying is if you stop and if you walk out at night and if you look up, it won't just be the heavens that are speaking to you. In fact, God is going to be declaring his glory to you as you consider the work of his hands. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. But it then says in verse 3, almost contradictory, they actually have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In other words, there's this silent voice that creation speaks with. No words, no proclamation, but yet it's declaring something incredibly powerful that leads you to give glory to God. And the psalmist then narrows his focus in the second half of verse 4. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, and he focuses in on the sun here. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and you think of the bridegroom at his wedding, all dressed up, looking incredibly handsome. He's just come into the building. Well, the sun is like that like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, it makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. And what he does here is he stops and just picks out the sun to give an example of the wonder of God's creation and how it speaks of his glory. And he's reflecting here on both the majesty and the power. Everyone experiences the warmth of the sun, as well as the orderliness of it. And we all know that reality. The sun rises in the morning, it travels across the sky, it sets in the evening, and it does that day after day after day. Have a look at this picture. It's from Matt Lamley, one of our night church guys. Uh, He's a videographer as well as a photographer. And it's a sunrise at Manly. We're very familiar with them. They're magnificent. And when you stop and see it, it leaves you wanting to praise God because you see his hand at work behind it and it gives glory to God. No words spoken, but yet a powerful testimony. 
And what fascinates me is the way so many people can look at the creation and say there is no God. Even top scientists say this. But let me say there are many scientists who look at the world and they don't just see, if I can say, scientific processes that take place, but they say there is a God who is behind it. One of those is a man called Francis Collins. If you're not familiar with him, uh, Dr. Francis Collins is a scientist of the highest calibre. He's won all kinds of awards. And he led the Human Genome Project in the USA, which led to numerous groundbreaking health discoveries. An incredible mind. Not as a child, he went, he went to church, but he didn't find faith there. But later on, on a medical ward, visiting someone who was sick, he encountered a woman of very strong, assured and joyful faith. And it led him on a journey of discovery that this creation that he knew as a scientist was made by God. And he's written a book which is called The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. And he said these beautiful words. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate and beautiful. In other words, you can look up to the sky and see the glory of God. You can look down the telescope and you can also see his glory at work. I often say to people, how can there not be a God when you look at this world? It just declares to us. I mean, how is it that you explain the beauty of this world, which is magnificent, if there is no creator who designed it? How do you explain the order, as wild and untamed as our world is, everything in nature follows a specific order orchestrated by someone? And we would say that's God the creator. And this universe is this incredibly fine-tuned entity that if just one or two constants were to change, it would completely eradicate what we know of as this world. How do you explain that if there's no designer? How do you explain our belief in justice and our longing for it if there is not a God who is over us? Or the sense of love or search for meaning and purpose in this world if there's not a God who's made us? The heavens declare the glory of God. And so just from the creation itself, we can know that there is a God who exists, that he is our creator, and as such, he is over us. And because of that, we're accountable to him. But the problem of non-verbal communication, I'm sure we're aware of this, is that we can easily misinterpret it. And that's exactly what humanity does with the non-verbal communication that comes from creation. We actually need more if we are to know this God with clarity and we are to be in right relationship with him. What we need is a clear, spoken word to explain this God and to bring clarity to the topic of who he is and what he requires of us. And nature tells us of God's reality and of his power. And we've been made in a way that we know intuitively that he is there. But that won't tell us about the saving grace of his Lord Jesus Christ. Nature tells us that God is mighty and that we are his creatures. But it won't tell us that we've turned our backs on God, what the Bible calls sin. And that as we naturally exist in this world, we're out of relationship with him and we need forgiveness. 
We need more, and that's exactly what the psalm goes on to say. God has not just spoken generally in creation. He has spoken specifically by his word. And in the second half of the psalm, we learn about how it is that God has spoken, and it's a clear, powerful, personal, enduring word. Let's have a think about what these seven, uh, seven eight verses say. In verses 7 to 10, if you've got your Bibles there, have a look. There are five different descriptions that are given for how God has spoken through his written word. Verse 7, there is the law of the Lord. Verse 7, second half, the statutes of the law. Verse 8, there are the precepts of the Lord. There's also the commands of the Lord. Verse 8, verse 9, there is the decrees of the Lord. And what you could say from a literary point of view, there's no doubt a poetry that is going on here. And it's a poetical way of using different descriptions to describe the one reality that God is a God who has spoken through his written word. But there's more to it than that. When you look at these individual words and what they describe, the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the decrees, theologically, the psalm is showing us that there is a completeness to God's word. It is teaching, it is testimony, it is direction, it is wisdom, it is commands, it's prescription. It's a book that speaks to the totality of a human condition. No matter what you're going through, there will be a word in this book that we call the Bible that speaks to us to bring comfort, to bring help, to bring assistance, to bring challenge, to bring warning. And interestingly, in this psalm, it's as he reads the word that he knows that he's warned and that he's aware of his sin, and that he knows that God is his redeemer. And so God's word is a written word that speaks totally to our human condition, but secondly, it's a powerful word. Verse 7 says it brings life. It actually revives the soul. It's got a power to it. But it also brings wisdom for our life. It helps us live well. Verse 8, it brings joy to our hearts. And it does that because we meet the God who is gracious and who loves us. And it brings light to the mind. In other words, it reveals God to us. And you see, this is the power of God's word. And that's why I wanted to have someone, and it was great to have Suzanne come and share about how the word helped her through all of the craziness of 2020 and COVID-19. The psalm so pastorally helpful for her in terms of processing what she was going through. And that just short, profound verse from Paul, guiding her every day. And this is the power of the word. And I love what uh, the writer to Hebrews says, and that's why I had that second reading. Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, and it's a living word. Yes, it's written, but it's a live word. When we read it, we hear God speak. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thought and that attitudes of the heart. In other words, when you read this with a heart that is open to God and you're wanting to listen to him, it will speak to you powerfully. It will confront you with who you are, but it will also tell you of God's incredible grace and love and forgiveness that we find at the cross of his son, the Lord Jesus. But thirdly, it's a lasting word. I love what verse 9 says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And when you, hear, when you read this word, it produces an awe in us. It endures forever. The decrees of the Lord, they are firm. In other words, they are a foundation that you can build your life on. And this word endures forever. 
And I think the incredible thing is, it's a book that was written by many different authors over hundreds of years. It's been put together in one compilation. It's what we call the Scriptures, the Bible. And it was written then knowing that we would read it now. And God speaks to us now. And through every generation, this written word, when it has been read, when it's been proclaimed, when it's been shared, God speaks to people through it powerfully. It is an enduring word that lasts forever. But lastly, it's a personal word. And I don't know if you notice the contrast between the first six verses and the following seven, eight. At the very beginning, God is only mentioned once, and it's with a general term. He is the God of creation. But when the psalmist reflects on the written word, he describes God as the Lord, and that word is the word for Yahweh in the Old Testament. It's the name that Moses was given when God revealed himself as the redeemer and keeper of his people. And seven times in the second half of the psalm, we are told that the Lord is the one who is speaking to us. And at the end of the psalm, you get these beautiful words. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults, Lord. In other words, as God is speaking personally to him, he's confronted by his sins. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And you see, God is not some distant God who is just generally known. He is known personally as his redeemer and his rock. And he is his servant. And when you hear the word of God address you, you are confronted with yourself, but the word reveals his love and grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrated at Christmas, that the word became flesh and the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to us through the eternal gospel, which we have in the scriptures. And so from creation, you're going to learn great general things about God that will lead you to glorify him. But it's only as you hear the word of God proclaimed, as you read it, as you study it, as you listen to it, will you hear the call to turn from your sin and come to the living God and receive forgiveness and hope and love and mercy. Because it's a specific word that saves us and brings us into friendship with God as our Father. Well, let me finish by asking us a question. Why did I want to start the year with this psalm? Why is it this psalm and not one of the other 149? Well, I want to ask a question of us. What word will you trust in in the next 12 months? What will be your wisdom? Because here's the crazy thing. We don't know what this year ahead is going to look like. And I think all of us, we would love it to be a very different year from this past 12 months. Where a virus is eradicated, where a vaccine is rolled out. But the reality is, I think it's going to be another year that will be very difficult. And what will be your wisdom, your strength, your light? What will guide you? 
Well, I want to put before us, it's the word of God that has been written down for us that needs to be our light, our strength, our wisdom for this year ahead. And if I could just reflect on the past 12 years, not just 12 months, of being here at St Matthews. I moved back to Sydney 12 years ago. And over that time, every year, the Christian faith and the Christian church seems to move more away from the centre of society. And every year it seems to get a little bit harder to be a Christian in this world and in this culture. Now, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying that's how it is. And while there is no doubt a great respect for Christians in the church in some sections of our society, every year there seems to be just this growing noise that Christianity is at best irrelevant for the world today and at worst even dangerous. And our culture has become increasingly subjective in how it understands reality. My truth is all that matters. There is no objective truth that we can all together cling to. And you see, when that is the culture, that is the air we breathe, it completely undercuts the objective truth that is revealed in the scriptures, this specific word from God to us. And it affects us as Christians because we are tempted to believe that God's word, all of God's word, is not good for us. It's not authoritative over us. It's not relevant for us. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible is totally relevant. We don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant because it's God speaking to us today. And today there's what I would call a truth crisis. We live in an age where we are saturated by social media and one of the impacts of that has been, it seems to be that whoever shouts the loudest wins. And truth is incredibly subjective. And as I said, reality is for most people what I believe internally, not anything external to me. And the result is, when you think about the truths that scripture proclaims, that there is just one God that he has sent his son and he is the exclusive saviour of the world. That just seems arrogant today, to believe that. That this, this word is inspired. It's not just a religious book, it is God's word, all of it. And you think about the moral realities that are spoken of here, in terms of how we understand living life, our identity as men and women, Questions of human sexuality, questions of greed and justice, moral questions around sexual purity. Is it okay just to have sex with whoever? Questions of the beginning and end of life. All of these questions and all of these issues, our culture is saying, this book does not have the answers. And what it does is it erodes our confidence in it. But friends, this book clearly proclaims to us there is one God, he loves us. He has sent his unique son to come and save us. And his name is the only name that can save people that has been given to us from heaven. And he calls us to live holy lives that honour him. And he calls us to reflect his love, his truth and grace with compassion in this world. And he wants us to live pure lives where we are generous, not greedy, 
where we are sexually pure and that is a beautiful gift but it's for just within marriage between a man and a woman. And he wants us to announce this word with confidence and boldness to the world that there is a God who loves them and is calling them to come back to him and to repent and to believe the good news. And friends, in this age of subjectivity, where we are on the margins of society, this word is our lifeline. And that's why I love what verse 10 says. And if I can just read it again, and he's speaking of the word of God that's been revealed to us in scripture, these words are much more precious than gold, than much pure gold. And friends, that's what we need to hold on to, that this is our most valuable resource this year, the scriptures. And I love what he says, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. In other words, when you read it, it will bring you joy. And so my call to us this year, as I ask the question, what is the word that you'll listen to? I call us to recommit to trusting in the goodness, in the authority, in the power, in the life that flows from the scriptures as we hear the gospel proclaimed to us and the call to repent and believe the good news. And so in 2021, will you read this word? Will you study it? Will you believe it? Will you live it? Will you trust in it? Will you obey it? And importantly, will you share it with your Christian friends and family and with this world that is lost and broken and on a highway to hell? Will you bring the good news of the gospel to those around you? Because that's what we desperately need to do in 2021. Let's just stop and have a moment to pray. And I want to finish with uh, the words at the end of the psalm. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and redeemer. And I pray for all of us that that will be true for us. And I've written a prayer for all of us to pray as a church to rededicate our lives to the living God this year and to his word. And so let's just be quiet and if you can look at the screen, a prayer will be coming up. And it's a prayer that gives voice to wanting to dedicate our life to him and his word and to the Lord Jesus. And I invite you to pray it now with me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for getting us through this past year with all of its difficulties and challenges. As we start a new year, we renew our trust in you and your word. May it be our strength and wisdom in all that we do. Help us to read it, to believe it, and to do what it says. Thank you most of all for sending us your living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we find our strength and identity in following him this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, may that be true of us in the 12 months that come.